You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. Hello and welcome to Midas Touch Direct Marketing. On this first cassette, we want to lay the foundation for many of the most important ideas, strategies, terms, and methods that Dan Kennedy will be talking to you about on the other cassettes in this package, in the Magnetic Marketing Toolkit, and in his No BS Marketing Letter if you are an Inner Circle member. My name is John Dale. I'll be with you for the next 30 minutes or so previewing these key items. Item number one, targets. Mr. Kennedy accuses most business people and marketers of playing blind archery, a most dangerous game. Instead, just about everything he recommends to you resolves around accurate, precise targeting. This means having a very clear picture of who your current best customer is and who you want as a new customer and who your particular mix of product, service, price, value is best matched with. It's surprising that most business owners really do not know their customers well and cannot describe that customer in great detail. But if you cannot clearly see your target, it's hard to hit. Item two, lead generation. This means the acquisition through some method, advertising, direct mail, trade shows, consumer shows, whatever, the acquisition of leads. That is, well-qualified prospects that match your target descriptions for follow-up. You'll learn that in many cases, using lead generation advertising, you do not advertise your product, service, or business. Instead, you advertise for exactly the person you want to respond. You advertise for the target. Item 3, Lead Generation Magnet. This is the little extra that makes lead generation advertising most productive. A lead generation magnet is most often made up inexpensively out of paper and ink, often a free report of informational value to your target market that also serves as a long-form sales letter, a next step in your process. This is discussed at length in one of Dan Kennedy's Magnetic Marketing Special Reports, How to Print as Much Money as You Want Legally. This report is usually provided with your Magnetic Marketing System Toolkit or is available in a collection of special reports for $49.95. Here is the most important objective serviced by these first three items we've discussed. Strategically investing most of your time and money in talking only to those people identified and who have identified themselves as most likely to respond favorably to what you have to offer. The earlier in the game you narrow your focus to just these high probability prospects, the better. A related objective is to spend your personal selling time only with those people who are predisposed to buy. When you have a good multi-step marketing process, that forces prospects to jump through multiple hoops before they get to you, automatically winnows out the low probability prospects and pre-sells those that remain. Your person-to-person -person selling time reaches peak productivity and value. One of the most important things that you can learn from Dan Kennedy is how to use the tools to do your spade work for you instead of you doing it all with manual labor. So at this point, just a few quick questions for you to consider. Number one, how much do you know about your customer? Number two, how would you describe the person you'd most like to attract to you via advertising in comprehensive detail? 
And number three, what information can you offer that will be irresistible to your target and compel him to respond to you? Item four, marketing message. What exactly is a marketing message? It is the news that you have to spread. The most important thing or things that you can say to your target market that has real meaning and significance to that target market. Two categories of information included in most marketing messages are A, the universal selling proposition, and B, the unique selling proposition. A universal selling proposition is made up of all the things that you have to say and offer even though and maybe because of your competitors offering these same things. For example, being open on Saturdays may be nothing special in your business. Everybody does it. But you still need to mention it because everybody offers it and to admit it would make you stand out in a negative way. But a unique selling proposition is the thing or things that differentiate that you do differently, that are different by personality, price, offer, guarantee, whatever, so as to make you stand out in a positive way. If you don't have one of these, you'll want to start searching and brainstorming in order to find or create one. And Dan would encourage you to look outside of your industry for breakthrough ideas. He says that, at best, incremental improvement can come from doing what is normal better. Breakthroughs come from bringing brand new ideas into an industry. If you happen to own a service business, for example, you'll definitely want to read the story of Larry Harmon's DeMar Plumbing in Dan's book, How to Make Millions with Your Ideas, to see how someone created multiple unique selling propositions. Incidentally, people who struggle with this unique selling proposition challenge often ask Dan to give them one. Can't be done. If you could just be handed a unique selling proposition on a silver platter, it wouldn't be unique to you, now would it? Only you can create your unique selling proposition. Item 5, Media. Media is a non-manual labor-intensive means of delivering your marketing message to a target. Different media work better for different businesses, sometimes at different times. If you are a business-to-business -business or industrial company, media you might typically use would include trade or industry magazines, maybe the Wall Street Journal, exhibiting at trade shows, and direct mail. If you market to consumers, your media choices might include newspapers, Valpac or Money Mailer, radio or direct mail. In all cases, the important thing to remember is that you are, from now on, going to only use media that can be used for direct response advertising, not institutional or image advertising, and that you are only going to do direct response advertising. Think of this as tough-minded advertising. This means that every dollar invested will be expected to yield immediate direct response. This, incidentally, begs some basics. Elements that must be present for it to be considered direct response. One, a benefit telegraphic headline. Two, a true marketing message. Three, an offer or offers. Four, a reason to respond immediately. And five, response instructions and mechanisms. If these five things are not present, you're not doing direct response. 
To discuss media options for a minute, for business-to-business -business or industrial marketers, Dan prefers lead generation advertising in trade magazines, then direct mail, and sometimes, finally, telephone follow-up to these leads. If you look at your trade magazines in your industry, you'll find that almost all, if not all ads, push product. The ad that does not push product instead flags the attention of precisely described individuals and then offers those individuals free information of interest and value to them really stand out. Also, while cold mailings try to reach business decision makers have massive waste, a lion's share will usually get screened and trashed or thrown out unopened or unread. But delivery of requested information to a named decision maker who requested and remembers requesting that material is much more productive. For consumer marketers, there's a greater variety of often productive options. For many businesses, media like the Yellow Pages and coupon mailings like Money Mailer and Valpac can be made to be reliably and consistently deliver true break-even or better results, satisfactory for acquiring new customers. Also, many businesses cold direct mail, such as a sequence of letters, can work neighborhood or geographic farms or affinity farms, which I'll discuss more in just a few minutes. Item 6, the sales letter. As you study all of Dan Kennedy's methods, you will find that the sales letter is one of his staple, most used tools. In many instances, Dan will utilize a sequence of letters, each one clearly referring to the previous ones, all sent in a fairly condensed period of time, most commonly four to six weeks. It is important not to be intimidated by the task of putting together sales letters. You do not need to be a Shakespeare or a Hemingway to get this job done. A good sales letter actually is selling in print, so they are conversational and they have personality. Your letter should be written pretty much like you talk. In the Magnetic Marketing Sales Toolkit, you'll find plenty of samples you can slightly modify and use without having to start from scratch in crafting sales letters for different purposes. Also, in Dan's book, The Ultimate Sales Letter, you'll find a simple, step-by-step -step process for writing sales letters with examples for every step. Of course, Dan is available for copywriting as well as complete marketing consulting assignments, but most people are able to do it yourself with the aid of these materials. Item 7, the plant the farm sequence. This refers to using a time sequence in communicating for the first time with a particular group of targeted prospects called a farm. There are certain rules that you will learn to apply to the plant the farm process that then change when you move to a maintain the farm mode. For example, in most cases, in Plant the Farm, you're going to use plain white paper, a pile mail, an envelope with no company or business identifications, logos, or teaser copy on the outside. A simple sales letter, the first thing seen when the envelope is open. But once a relationship is established, this envelope format is no longer mandated. In fact, then postcards, self-mailer, and catalogs become effective options. There are a number of different kinds of farms appropriate to many businesses or sales professionals. Certainly the most common are simple geographic. 
all of the homeowners or all of the business owners within a defined geographic area such as a zip code or a sales territory. But you can probably learn to be more selective and sophisticated than that, and you'll learn some of the keys to doing so in one of the magnetic marketing special reports, How to Turn Mailing Lists into Money, usually provided with the Magnetic Marketing System Toolkit. Another frequently productive farm is an affinity farm, a group of people that have something significant in common but are not necessarily boundaried by geography, for example. If you are a fireman, but as your part-time business you sell water purifiers, you may want to target all the other firemen in your town or nationwide. And in your sales letter, you would lean on this affinity. For example, Dear fellow firefighter, I'm a fireman at the Cincinnati Firehouse Number 3 in Cincinnati, Ohio. If there's one thing that you and I rely on for our very lives, yet take completely for granted, it is water. But I am not writing to you about the water that blows out of our truck hoses to save lives. Instead, I'm writing to you about the water that comes out of your faucet in the kitchen at home and may very well be robbing you and your family of life by destroying your health. And so on. There are other types of farms you'll be learning about, too. Item 8. The Free Recorded Message. Many companies are discovering that the use of a free recorded message number in their lead generation advertising and other advertising and in sales letters and otherwise significantly increases response. People are often more willing to call knowing that they will get information via non-threatening recordings than to get on the phone with a live person who will try to sell them something. And the free recorded message is often used in advertising offering lead generation magnet. This totally automates the process for you. Prospects call, listen to the message, then leave their names and address when prompted. Zero manual labor on your part or your staff's part. I'm sure that you're beginning to get the big idea here, that Dan Kennedy's methods can dramatically change, even transform, the way that you acquire your customers or clients. Hopefully, you've already gotten some useful tips from this message alone. But before we conclude our session, I want to talk to you about the big, overriding, giant objective here that goes beyond any one or two specific techniques. When you ask most business people what they do, they answer in a very telling, limited way. A fellow who owns a jewelry store will say that he's a jeweler. Even someone who owns a chain of jewelry stores might describe himself as a jeweler, or at least, I own jewelry stores. A chiropractor would say, I'm a chiropractor, and so on. The first thing that's worth altering about this, purely from a marketing standpoint, takes us back to the issues of the marketing message and the unique selling proposition. Think about this. Will the way you describe what you do cause a crowd to gather at a cocktail party? Everybody eager to ask questions and hear more? If not, then you have an interesting creative task ahead of you to redefine what it is that you do so that the description itself is magnetic. For example, Dan does not say that he is a marketing consultant or a copywriter or a speaker. He says that he devises direct marketing strategies and systems that cut out all the waste and fat out of advertising and make salespeople a thousand percent more productive. 
So, a chiropractor might say, I help people eliminate back pain, neck pain, chronic headaches, or stress-related pain, often instantly and quickly, and develop personal health regimens for greater energy and longer life. But although this is important, it is here a distraction. The other bigger idea about the way business people describe themselves and what they do and perceive what they do is what Dan calls the paradigm shift that makes all the difference in the world. Instead of being a jeweler or the owner of jewelry stores, this person must become a marketer of jewelry. The carpet cleaner becomes a marketer of carpet cleaning services. The manufacturer of electrical components becomes a marketer of manufactured electrical parts. This shift in thinking, in orientation, in who you are, refocuses you on the single most important and most financially rewarding aspect of business, marketing. The money is in marketing the thing, not in doing the thing. If you want to become a money player, you'll make this shift. There are actually several big shifts and orientations to be made here. For the sales professional, it is to vehemently and totally reject everything you've been taught or forced to do in cold prospecting, manual labor-intensive prospecting. You must reject this old way of obtaining prospects or appointments with decision makers. You must embrace positioning instead of prospecting and set up magnetic marketing systems congruent with your positioning so that your targeted, ideal prospects call you and request your assistance. On the one hand, this is insurance against burnout. On the other, it is the fastest path to the very highest earnings in your field. For the business owner, it is the shift from doing what you do or making what you make to marketing what you do or make. And then, once the commitment is secure to being very tough-minded, about only direct response advertising and direct response marketing. As you can see, you are going to be challenged as you proceed here to make very fundamental changes in the way you view yourself and your business activities, the way you invest your advertising and marketing dollars, and the value you place on your own time. So a warning. As you listen to Dan and work with his materials, be careful not to give in too easily to the past, to preconceived limits, to instant not-for-me responses. It's natural to be in the instant reject mode, natural but spectacularly unproductive. Clinging to the way we've always done things would have us lighting our offices and stores with bigger candles and outside pooper-scoopering up after our customers' horses in the street, while at home our wives stand ankle-deep in the creek, drying our clothes on rocks. This is a fantastic opportunity to give yourself the ultimate competitive edge of going completely outside the box and bringing back genuinely innovative yet proven strategies. Don't squander it. Well, that wraps up the time that you and I have together. On the three remaining cassettes in this program, you'll hear from Dan Kennedy personally sharing some of his most important and universally applicable direct marketing strategies. And you are certain to make money as a result, just as thousands of new Kennedy students do each and every year. But I hope you won't stop here, that you'll move on to the magnetic marketing system and as an inner circle member to a continuing coaching relationship. 
If you have not received an Inner Circle membership invitation packet, by the way, please fax or call Dan's office to request one. For Dan Kennedy, this is John Dale. Welcome to this cassette series on direct marketing. I'm a strong, enthusiastic advocate of direct marketing. For most businesses, small or large, direct marketing consistently delivers the best results for dollars spent. We need to begin with an understanding of direct marketing versus other types of advertising, promotion, and marketing. Let's talk first a little bit about the others. There is institutional advertising. This type of advertising is often intentionally used by big corporations and blindly copied by smaller ones. It essentially says to consumers and or to stockholders, here we are, here's who we are, here's what we do, and we're nice guys. But it never asks anybody to buy anything or to take any action. It's image building. Some examples you're probably familiar with include the Goodyear blimp flying over football games. The Unisys, Hewlett-Packard, and Rockwell TV commercials seen during the Sunday morning news programs and during some sports telecasts. Most bank advertising. Time magazine signs in airports. This is all pure institutional advertising. Advertising agencies, consultants, and the media love to sell you this type of advertising because there is no possible way to measure its effectiveness. Is it working? Is it paying for itself? Who knows? The next, slightly more sensible approach is what I call non-measurable response advertising. This type of advertising is trying to sell something, but is still basically unaccountable for its results. TV commercials for a particular brand of car fall into this category. The intent of those commercials is to get you interested enough in that car to go to the showroom. But there's really no way to tell how many people who came to the showrooms this week were influenced by those commercials. Would they have come anyway as a result of the dealer's own newspaper ads? Who knows? Many smaller businesses get trapped using this type of advertising. Appliance, record, clothing, department stores all run sale ads. Here's what's on sale. Come on in. But they have no means of determining how many people came because of the ads versus how many might have come anyway, or how many came from an ad in one media versus the same ad in another. They can guess they can take this weekend's higher traffic, less last weekend's traffic, and attribute the difference to the ads. But it gets worse. They advertise the sale via the newspaper, two radio stations, and flyers. How do you tell what works and what doesn't? Again, ad agencies and the media like to sell this type of advertising because it's difficult for the advertiser to measure the results. Another type of marketing is public relations and publicity. There are firms who you can retain to prepare news releases and articles about your products or services and your company and work at getting them placed at various media. These firms may also arrange interviews and talk show appearances. Although you can measure them by how much actual exposure they get for you, it's generally difficult to then measure how much business came from the exposure. Also in this category is the sponsorship of everything from a Little League team to an Indy 500 race car or a golf tournament. All three of these types of marketing probably have some place in a business's total marketing plan. It is my firm belief, however, that these methods are grossly and deliberately oversold to clients by media and professionals because of their resistance to results measurement. It is also my opinion that most businesses, the owners of small businesses and the executives of large companies, stupidly waste outrageous sums of money on these non-measurable marketing options. I would much rather 
see money spent where the results can be definitively and accurately measured so the changes can be made to develop successful response levels for every dollar spent. To do that, you use direct marketing. Included in direct marketing, number one, media advertising that asks for a direct response. The ad is a coupon to be cut out and sent in or brought in, a phone number to call with a code somehow attached to identify the source of the call, or an order blank to use in making a purchase. Direct response advertising is 99% measurable. I'll explain the 1% added benefit factor later. Number two, direct mail that asks for a direct response. Coupons sent through the mail to be redeemed at stores or dealers or by mail. A letter announcing a sale with an invitation that must be used for admission to the store after hours. A letter with a card enclosed good for a two-for-one dinner special at a local restaurant. A mail piece that asks the recipient to call to request a certain free booklet. Number three, radio or TV commercials that ask for a direct response, that ask the customer to call in or write in or come in and mention the station's call letters in order to get a discount or free gift. Any advertising media can be converted to direct response type advertising and can be results measured. Number four, telemarketing that asks for a direct response, such as an appointment for a salesperson, an actual purchase right there on the phone, or inviting the person to come into the place of business either by appointment or with a certain assigned code entitling the customer to discounts or gifts. Number five, personal selling. I'll tell you about one of the greatest direct marketing strategies for a small business that I've seen lately. My home doorbell rang. I answered the door. There was a young guy in a clean, neatly pressed Union 76 gas station uniform. He handed me a vinyl wallet with a cardboard insert filled with little coupons, one for a free front-end alignment, one for free lube and oil with filter purchase, a free battery recharge, $30 in gas discounts, and so on. He quickly delivered a pitch, ultimately offering me the $240 coupon book for $25. I bought instantly, partly because it was a great deal, and partly because I appreciated the technique and the initiative. I asked around during the next few days and found that my brother, another person in my office, and a neighbor had all bought two. I suspect that the salesperson keeps most, maybe even all of the money. The gas station acquires the new customers. It is a brilliant direct marketing idea that many different businesses could use. Of all these direct marketing methods, I'm most partial to direct mail. I like direct mail for many different reasons, including, number one, there's lots of options regarding format and cost. Number two, you get things directly into the hands of the prospect. Number three, at least for a brief moment, you have the person's undivided attention. Number four, it is completely results measurable. Number five, it can be combined with other marketing methods. And number six, you can learn to do your own copy and graphic work. There are several different ways you can use direct mail, too, including acquiring or attracting new customers as a pre-approach prior to a telephone or personal call and to communicate with existing customers. I suggest you immediately begin opening and reading all of your so-called junk mail and building files for each of the categories of uses I've mentioned. Keep the pieces that strike you as interesting and effective. I love junk mail. Thousands of companies spending millions of dollars to educate me about savvy marketing techniques that I can adapt to my businesses. The big companies that do a lot of direct mail marketing are very sophisticated in their methods. They employ the very best writers and consultants, people who often command anywhere from $5,000 to $50,000 just to write a sales letter. 
These guys are sharp. You can learn from their work. Computers are also used to monitor response differences traced to all sorts of variables. These companies test, 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 and test some more. So your junk mail is bringing you the end results of collaboration between the brightest direct marketing minds and the costliest marketing research in the country. How dare you throw it in the wastebasket? I can promise you this. It doesn't matter whether you are a salesperson, a small business owner, or a corporate executive. It doesn't matter whether you sell to businesses or consumers. If you'll thoroughly study and consider the information and ideas presented in this program and take appropriate follow-up actions to switch the emphasis of your marketing into methods that bring direct response and are results measurable, you will improve the profit of your business. And I want you to remember this. Any media salesperson, any ad agency person, any consultant, anyone in your own firm who is anti-direct response does not have your best interests at heart. The person who opposes having the results measured accurately already knows that the results are inadequate. I come from the advertising business, by the way, and once owned a small ad agency. Our clients included many small companies as well as big firms like Goodyear Aerospace and Monsanto. I've also worked with other ad agencies as a freelance copywriter, a consultant, a trainer of account executives on presentation skills. Frankly, the business is very much a smokescreen and sleight-of-hand business. You'll be presented with demographic statistics from a given media that are just great. Unfortunately, the listeners or readers all lied when they responded to the survey in order to look good and feel good. They inflated their incomes, for example. Print media loves to snow you with its pass-along figures. They'll talk 100,000 readership with 20,000 subscribers. When you have to write out the payroll checks, pay the other bills, pay for all the advertising, pay the taxes, and then see what might be left for you, you cannot deposit pass-along statistics or image in the bank account. You can only deposit dollars which come from real results. Think, talk, and invest in measurable results. There is, by the way, a 1% added benefit factor inherent in direct marketing. Those who do not respond to a given mailing or other direct marketing effort still were positively exposed to your company. There is a cumulative effect of such exposure that creates additional customers over a long period of time, and you will benefit from this. However, I'm opposed to counting it, to attributing cash value to it to offset marketing costs. Your marketing should pay its way with current measurable results. I will cheerfully tell you that I am not very well liked by certain folks in the ad agency, media, and consulting businesses for my strong criticism of non-measurable marketing. However, I insist that any business not devoting at least 50% of its total advertising, marketing, promotion budget to direct marketing is mismanaged. I would never buy stock in a company not putting over 50% of its marketing money into direct marketing. I encourage you to be very tough-minded in your marketing investments. Ask the tough questions, like how will we know how many dollars were derived from this media or method? If there is no good answer, there's only one good decision. Quick, list all the assets of your business in their order of cash value. Your buildings, your equipment, your inventory, your account receivables, your patents and trademarks. Which are more valuable than the others? Stop the tape, take a pen and pad, and make the list. If you are like most business people, you left the number one most valuable asset off the list, your customers. The only industry that properly values its customers is the mail order industry. 
That's probably why the reputable mail-order firms take much better care of their customers than most other types of businesses, because they appreciate the full cost of acquiring a customer. And they actually do carry them as assets in their financial records. So lost customers diminish their balance sheet as well as their income statement, as it should be. You can take away my corporations, equipment, even my personnel, but leave me my customers, and I'll have it all back in six months. It costs a tremendous amount of money to get a customer or a client. Most businesses actually lose money on their first sale or sales to a customer. If you cross the full customer acquisition cost against the profit on the first transaction, your business has an investment in each customer. The key to keeping customers long enough to derive maximum return on investment is a marketing concept called the top of the consciousness principle. Using it to your advantage relies heavily on direct marketing. First, let me tell you about a thing called marketing noise. That's a catch-all term representative of the tremendous amount of marketing going on all around us. Billboards, car and truck signs, bus bench signs, displays and signage in stores, flyers stuffed in bags, flyers under windshield wipers, direct mail, brochures packed in with purchases, brochures in with credit card and utility bill statements, radio commercials, TV commercials reduced from 60 to 30 seconds, telemarketing, personal selling, cable TV shows that are really commercials, ads in magazines and newspapers. The average adult consumer is presented with more opportunities to spend money today in one eight-hour period than he was in 30, 24-hour periods just a decade ago. There is a mammoth amount of marketing noise bombarding the consumer, vying for his discretionary income and his credit. In business-to-business -business marketing, the same basic situation exists. Although there is less cold-call selling going on today than at any time I can recall, there is much more business-to-business -business marketing taking place. The card deck ad media has been invented in the last decade. The number of business magazines, newspapers, and trade journals carrying advertising to the executive and business owner has more than tripled in the past five years. Trade show attendance is at an all-time high. Audio and videotapes, computer discs, and other electronic media are being used as brochures, as well as in place of sales calls today. There is a mammoth amount of marketing noise bombarding the executive, manager, and business owner. Then within all that marketing noise, there is all the direct competition in your particular field. Competitors who grow more sophisticated and aggressive by the minute not only competing for new customers, but also attempting to take away your present customers. What are you doing about it? Your best strategy is the top of the consciousness principle. This principle says that you will do things to get and remain on the very top of the consciousness of your customers and clients. McDonald's, for example, has done that most successfully. I did my own little informal survey using a word association game. You know, I say a word, you say the first word that pops into your mind. I say tree, you say shade, that sort of thing. Buried in my list was the word hamburger. Guess what? Nearly 40% of the people said McDonald's. The others answered with words like bun, ketchup, cookout, but only a few mentioned other fast food restaurants. McDonald's dominates the consciousness of the fast food customer. It's for that reason, more than any other, that they continue to prosper, while companies like Burger King and Wendy's, for example, are struggling, as of this recording in 1987. McDonald's has sustained this top-of-the-consciousness position with a sophisticated, admittedly expensive, multimedia approach. TV, radio, magazines, sweepstakes and contests, characters like Ronald McDonald, jingles, visible distinctive locations, sponsorship of charitable causes, different campaigns aimed at different age groups. 
Actually, the only thing McDonald's does not do well is use direct marketing. If they ever add this to their marketing mix, they'll permanently destroy some of their competitors. You have to find ways to command the same type of position in the minds of your customers or clients and prospective customers or clients in your marketplace. You can do so by imitating a multimedia example like McDonald's. There are also direct marketing methods perfect for this purpose. One of those is a 10 to 12 times contact program directed at customers and selected targeted prospective customers. In such a program, you directly contact and communicate with those people at least 10 to 12 times during the year, not including their visits to your place of business or their routine transactions with you. In doing so, you might use birthday cards, seasonal greeting cards, postcards, newsletters, catalogs, special offer mailings, telemarketing, personal sales calls, and ad specialties. I particularly like the use of a customer newsletter as part of this contact program. I use this for my consulting business. I teach doctors to use it for their practices. I know printers, clothing stores, beauty salons, and restaurants who use this method. Hotel chains and airlines have picked up on this technique in connection with their frequent traveler clubs. The Sahara Hotel in Las Vegas uses a newsletter. It's perfect for accountants and attorneys. Any company selling through dealers, distributors, or retailers should use this method. I also like the use of personalized thank yous to build customer loyalty. People like to be appreciated. It's a very simple thing, yet so few businesses today do anything to say thanks. We recently tried a new messenger service for the first time. The next day, they delivered a nice flower and a little crystal vase to our office with a thank you note. I think that's brilliant. The next time we need a messenger service, I can assure you that my secretary is going to think of them. Direct mail is a great way of increasing the frequency of spending of customers or the order size of customers. You can also use direct mail to motivate customers to purchase slow-moving items in your stores. Come to your restaurant at a slow time. Stay in your hotels during the off-season. Here are some simple ideas to carefully consider. Number one, most businesses invest too much in chasing new customers and too little in doing additional repeat business with their existing customers. Number two, the satisfied customer is predisposed to purchase again, purchase more, and purchase something different. Number three, it costs less to motivate a known customer to purchase again than to acquire a new customer. Number four, customers are only fickle because a new competitor is paying more attention to them than you are. In business-to-business -business marketing, many companies make the huge mistake of having all their contact with their customers go through the sales representative. This leaves the customers vulnerable to theft if the representative jumps to another employer. It also leaves too much opportunity for negligence on the representative's part. Regardless of the layers of distribution between you and your customer, you should establish some direct link. The owner of a restaurant can do that by coming around and chatting personally with the customers. The chief executive officer of a large company can do it with a newsletter and maybe a hotline telephone number. Here are some of the ways that direct mail can be used to communicate with established customers. Number one, to introduce new products or services. Number two, to give advance notice of and explain price or fee increases. Number three, to offer special discounts or premiums. Number four, to provide useful information. Number five, to give recognition to top customers. Number six, to announce seasonal sales. 
Most of the remainder of this cassette program will focus on new customer acquisition through direct marketing. However, the points we've discussed in this message are extremely important. I've rarely seen a business that could not increase and improve through increased direct marketing to present customers. Now here's a real marketing secret. It is a true secret. Most companies make a critical, crucial error in this area. I've personally made this error many times. Here's the secret. When marketing to established existing customers, you should still tell your entire sales story every time. Do not make the mistake of assuming knowledge on the part of the customer. Do not take shortcuts with existing customers. And do not feel that you are boring them by telling the same story repetitively. If you have quality, service, guarantee, price, or other advantages, point them out each and every time you deliver a sales presentation. American business desperately needs to place a new, higher value on the customer. That's been the message of Tom Peters' initiated excellence movement. It's the message behind the government hearings currently taking place, investigating the airline industry's abuse of its customers. If your business is not performing as well as you would like, it's a message you should listen to. Also, communicate with your customers, and you'll do more business. The main thing that gets people interested in direct marketing is its value as a means of acquiring new customers or clients. With the increased and ever-increasing costs of doing business, it is critically important for the owner of the small company and for the salesperson to be cost-effective in marketing. That means that good control is exercised over the cost of getting a new customer. Many businesses grow their gross at the expense of their net, at least partially through uncontrolled new customer acquisition costs they can literally grow themselves right out of business. I found that the best way to develop methods that work consistently, predictably, and cost-effectively in acquiring new customers is through direct mail marketing. When you develop a successful, cost-effective direct mail program, you've got an extremely valuable asset. You've got a system that you can use over and over again for a long time with predictable results. To use direct mail to effectively acquire new customers or clients, you have to deal with demographics. Demographics are the statistical information about people that marketers use to select and target their prospective customers and clients. Today, computers have added a huge extra measure of sophistication to the collection and organization of demographics, so that it is literally true that if you can describe it, you can get it. This makes it critically important to know as much as possible about your present customers and your desirable customers. The more information you have about the commonalities in your customer base, the more efficiently you can select prospects. Here's a partial list of demographic information you might compile about your consumer customers. Age, sex, marital status, home ownership, car ownership, major purchase behavior, credit card possession, income level, occupations, response to mail order offers, magazines subscribed to, cable TV subscription. By collecting and analyzing data about your customers, you might find, for example, that a significant majority of your best customers are between 30 and 35 years of age, male, married, own their own homes, have bought a new car within the last three years, have bought a VCR or television set in the last two years, have an American Express card, earn between 30 and $40,000 a year, are engineers or middle managers, are known mail order purchasers, subscribe to Playboy, and have cable television. If you have that information, 
you have the power to very efficiently select a new group of targeted prospects. In business-to-business -business marketing, there may be different demographic information that can be compiled about your customers, such as size of company by annual sales, size of company by number of employees, ownership of buildings or other real estate, major purchase behavior, credit card use, type of business, magazines subscribed to. By collecting data about your customers, you might find, for example, that a significant majority of your best clients are companies with between one and three million dollars in annual sales, between a hundred and two hundred employees, own their own plants or office buildings, have bought a computer in the past year, have a corporate American Express card, are in technology manufacturing, and subscribe to Forbes magazine. If you have that information, you have the power to very efficiently select a new group of targeted prospects. How do you get this kind of information about your customers? Ask. One excellent method is the use of anonymous surveys. Information gathered with anonymous surveys is most likely to be accurate. On the other hand, many customers won't respond to such surveys. For that reason, at another time, you may need to survey your customers with identity attached by mail or phone and even offer some gift as an incentive for response. The problem with such surveys is that people will lie. You can improve the accuracy of your data by crossing your anonymous survey results with your identified respondent survey results. Commonalities verified by both types of survey can generally be relied on as valid. You can also compile information about certain types of customers through research. The objective of all this is to find demographic commonalities in a significant percentage of your good customers. In consulting with companies, I am consistently amazed at how little marketers know about their customers, or if they have knowledge, they aren't paying any attention to it. I consult with a firm that sells investment real estate, for example. They know that their best, most active investors are engineers, yet they've done nothing with this information. They haven't advertised in trade publications aimed at engineers. They haven't done any direct mail to engineers. Let me tell you about one of the best examples of the importance of demographics to a small business that I know of. A woman owned a very exclusive fashion store in a pricey shopping center in a wealthy suburb. She kept no customer mailing list and actually knew very little about her customers. She said it wasn't necessary. Most of her customers lived in the high-priced condominium community right near her store, and she regularly advertised in the small newspaper that serviced that community. She was finally convinced to start building a mailing list. Guess what? Two-thirds of her customers lived 25 to as far as 40 miles away in middle rather than upper-income communities. They came to her store based on their perception that it was where the super-fashionable people shopped. She was shocked. By using that information, she was able to conduct direct mail campaigns into those areas where her customers really lived. As a result, she tripled her business in just six months. Ask yourself, how much do you really know about your customers or clients? Is it possible that some assumptions you've made about your customers are incorrect? Are there commonalities that are shared by many of your customers that you are unaware of? Is there information you already know about your customers that you aren't using? Dr. Napoleon Hill, famous Think and Grow Rich author, emphasized accurate thinking as one of the key characteristics shared by the hundreds of successful business leaders he studied over a 20-year period. It is not possible to employ accurate thinking in your business without accurate 
information about your customers. You can use accurate information about your customers to select new prospect mailing lists, make new product or service introduction decisions, and create direct mail and advertising pinpointed at your customers' interests. For any one of these reasons, it would be worth the effort of collecting and compiling information about your customers. But when you consider all three uses for the information, it is obvious that collecting such information might be one of the most profitable things you ever do. Another issue connected to demographics and the use of demographics in prospect list selection is the definition of the customer you want. Advertising genius David Ogilvy started in the ad business by making a list of some corporations he would most like to have as clients. His attitude, if you have to pursue new clients, why not pursue especially desirable ones? Goal setting is an important part of business success. As part of the goal setting process, you should determine who your desirable customers are. There may be differences between your existing customers and your most desirable customers, and you'll need to take careful notice of those differences, explore why they exist, and determine what strategies are needed to attract and satisfy those preferred customers. Welcome to the wonderful world of mailing lists. To the uninitiated, it's usually a real shock to discover just how many different mailing lists are available and how sophisticated you can get in selecting mailing lists. I want to emphasize right off the bat that 99% of all small business and small company owners have very minimal knowledge of this subject. They know very little about the availability and use of mailing lists, particularly those tied to national databases. Taking the time to acquire and creatively use this knowledge can be a huge competitive advantage. I have in front of me the SRDS directory, Standard Rate and Data Service. This is a directory of just about every mailing list and mailing list supplier in existence. My issue from November of 1986 consists of over 1,600 oversized pages crammed with tiny 8 and 6 point type listings and descriptions of one list after another. There are three basic kinds of lists. Subscriber lists, those people who subscribe to a particular magazine newsletter or other publication. Generally they're available as is, separated by expires, current subscribers, and hotline subscribers, that is the very recent new subscribers, and by many other basic sorts, geographic for example. So a list of the Better Homes and Gardens magazine subscribers for the city of Chicago is easy to get and readily available, for example. Then there are purchaser lists, the buyers of just about anything and everything are available. Here are a few examples. Omaha Steaks customers, Maple Grove Maple Syrup buyers, purchasers of tickets to the Boston Ballet, Brooks Brothers mail order customers, mail order buyers of Giorgio perfumes, General Nutrition Corporation vitamin customers. Many different sorts are then available in most purchasers lists. You may be able to specify by the amount of their average purchase by repeat purchase behavior, by use of credit cards, by the recency of their ordering, and of course geographic area. Compiled lists are different in that they generally come from different sources merged together rather than one, although a notable exception to that is business category lists compiled from the yellow pages. A good example of a compiled list is chief executive officers of companies with at least 50 employees. 
That list is put together from information in various directories and from telephone surveys. You can rent these lists as is in their entirety, broken down into specialized sorts or merge purged. Each list will offer different specialized sort capabilities. You want to consider the value of each one of these as it relates to your defined needs. You can get geographic sort in just about any list, at least by state, sometimes by county, city, or individual zip codes. This allows the small local business to access the national list. This also allows you to test a promotion in just one area, to zero in on an area for a grand opening of a new outlet, to target market by area for any number of possible reasons. Sometimes there are recency sorts available. Subscriber lists, for example, often offer hotline lists comprised of people who have subscribed or renewed within the past 90 days. These recent buyers are generally more responsive than the regular list would be. Although no one knows for sure, we believe this is true because of their interest in a given subject being very current. If you come along with a related offer, the timing is right. Sometimes there are frequency sorts available. This lets you take only those people who have bought more than once from the same company. Unit of sale is a popular selection criteria. Some buyer lists can be broken into several price categories, 5 to $50, 50 to 100 100 or more. In some consumer lists, it's possible to select only those from the list who own a home or who use credit cards or the head of the household or who fall into a certain income range. In some business lists, you can select only certain types of businesses, sizes of businesses, designation by job title, or lists with people's names and titles on them. You can find the standard rate and data service directories at the main library in your area. The library's copy may be a little out of date, but for educational purposes, that's okay. Now, I'm just going to randomly select a couple SRDS listings and go through them with you to bring about an even better understanding. Under business executives, the Kipling or Washington letter lists are available. This is a tax, business, and political newsletter. Let's see what the listing tells us. Number one, the average unit of sale is $48. Two, the list source is direct mail. That means all the subscribers were gotten through direct mail, as opposed to, say, advertisements in other magazines, or reps selling subscriptions door-to-door. -door. Three, there are 406,000 subscribers available. Four, there are approximately 10,000 hotline subscribers available each month. Five, the list costs $85 to $95 per thousand names. Expired subscribers are available for just $40 a thousand. So if you have a broker, you can now call that list broker, or you can call the broker handling this list, which happens to be the Clyde Company, to get additional information for your regional or local marketing. For example, you might want to know how many subscribers there are in Indiana or in Indianapolis, Indiana. Who might use this list? Banks, stockbrokers, insurance agents, realtors, seminar marketers. If you'll take the time to page through the entire SRDS directory, you'll be amazed at how many lists you'll discover that contain people who are logical prospects for your business, goods, or services. Let me tell you how to get super sophisticated with this. Let's say you sell fairly complex, expensive real estate limited partnerships. You need people in high tax brackets with good credit and some knowledge and experience as investors. You might take the Kiplinger list we just discussed, plus two or three other financial newsletter subscription lists, and have them merge purged to find only those people in your area who subscribe to at least two of them. Then you might have that list 
merged purged with a list of credit card holders. On a local basis, this is going to be costly because you are dealing with so few names. In this example, in a city like Phoenix, you might only wind up with a thousand names, and they might cost you several dollars each, but you will have highly qualified prospects. One way to overcome the cost problem, if you own a small local business, is to make contact with the owners of similar businesses in other geographic areas and go together as a group on a list rental project. Basic lists without a lot of merge purge work can be rented for as low as $30, $35 per thousand names. That fee is for one-time use only, and that's important. Most lists include some plants, people who are listed there and are paid to report on the mail they receive. Their name may be on a list in a certain way, so that any mail they get addressed that way indicates that the list was used. Copying and using rented lists more than once is dangerous. You can be prosecuted, fined, even imprisoned. Lists are available in many different formats, computer printouts, self-adhesive labels, even on magnetic tape if you're computerized. If you test more than one list with the same promotion, you want to code your mailings and track the response so you can make better list selection decisions in the future. You can code by creating fictitious suite numbers or telephone extension numbers, inserting different colored coupons correlated to different lists, or assigning code numbers that must be given to obtain the discount or the gift offered. For a small extra charge, your code can be imprinted right on the mailing label, too. This is particularly useful if you are using a window envelope with the label on an inside piece that will later be redeemed as a coupon. If you're renting from a large database to do a test, you can and should get an nth name sort. Say you're renting 5,000 names from a list of 25,000. You might then get every fifth name. Then if the promotion is successful, you can rent the remainder of the list less those you've already mailed to, in other words, omitting every fifth name. If you are using mailing lists only for one local area, you may want to talk with the mailing list sources listed in your own local yellow pages. It may be more convenient for you to deal with a local supplier. You may feel more comfortable meeting with someone face to face. However, if the local source cannot give you exactly what you want, one of the big national houses certainly can. Let's run through one more example. American List Council has a list of high-income residents at their home addresses. The list has been compiled from census information, phone books, car registrations, and other sources. There are 9 million people in the $50,000 to $75,000 income range. We can select by state, length of residency, and get phone numbers. If I were running a redecorating company, I might be interested in this list. I'd want those in my state in that high income range who had been in the same home for five or more years and I would want their phone numbers for phone follow-up to my mailing. If I were going to try and merge purge that with something, I might try subscribers to Architectural Digest or Better Homes and Gardens magazine and take only those names who subscribe to at least one of them. Obviously, the smaller your business's market area, the more difficult it is to cost-effectively access and use these national databases, but it can be done. If you want to get a real competitive advantage and be able to target market to highly qualified prospects, Standard Rate and Data Service is the place to begin. You've been listening to one of our gold members-only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a Diamond member and get access to the Diamond members-only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all of Dan's courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to Diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.